I have a question for you. Very simple question. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Today's passage of scripture that we're going to look at, we're going to dive right in because there's a whole lot of, of scripture to cover. And it's not that there's a lot of scripture, it's not a lot of verses, it's just a lot of concepts. And so I want to dive right in and get right into it because there's so much that we need to cover here in the last Sunday in Hebrews. We've been studying the book of Hebrews on Sunday mornings. Uh, we've been looking at, uh, we've come up through uh, chapters 1 through 12, and now we're in Hebrews chapter 13. If you brought your Bible, great, turn to Hebrews 13. If you didn't bring your Bible, if you're not using an electronic device, uh, you can grab the chair, the pew, uh, the Bible out of the chair in front of you, uh, and it's on page 853. If you're not very familiar with the New Testament, you'll find that right towards the end of the Bible. Uh, and on page 853. And we're going to talk today about how Jesus is our shepherd. Uh, we're going to see how he is our provider. We're going to see how he is our protector, how he is our shepherd. And we're, we're going we're to talk about a, a bunch of different uh, exhortations, if you will, uh, that the author of Hebrews gives to his audience, the first century Jewish Christians to whom he was writing. And he gives them a bunch of exhortations, a bunch of uh, commandments, a bunch of rules that they need to follow. Uh, because Jesus is our shepherd. And I believe that, that as our shepherd, that Jesus not only provides for us, but he also protects us. And that the rules that God gives us as our good shepherd, uh, and as it says here in Hebrews 13, Jesus is the great shepherd, that as our shepherd, God has expectations for the way that we live our lives. God has expectations for the things that we do, uh, for the ways that we speak, for the ways that we act. And so through these different expectations that we're going to look at today, it may seem a little overwhelming. It may seem like you're trying to eat an elephant, or it may seem like you're drinking from a fire hose. Um, it, I don't think that this is meant to intimidate us. I don't think it's meant to scare us. Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about these different exhortations that the author of Hebrews gives to his first century audience and that are uh, how they apply to us today. So if you got your Bible and you got it open to Hebrews 13, we're going to get started here. We're going to dive right into it. Um, what I want to do is I want to start at the end of the chapter first. So we're going to start at the end of the chapter. We're going to start with verse um, 20, uh, and then we're going to finish the chapter, and then we're going to go back to the beginning. Because I think that the, the very end of the chapter kind of gives us a reason, motivation, and, and purpose for why the, the first half of the chapter is there. So we're going to talk uh, first about the last three verses, uh, or the last four or five verses, starting in verse 20. So let's read that now, Hebrews 13, starting in verse 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. Now I want to focus on what he says about Jesus there, that he is the great shepherd of the sheep, that the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Now he says that he is the God of peace, and through Jesus Christ, God has brought peace between humanity and himself. 
Uh, I want to read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It'll be up on the screen for you. Uh, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So you may be wondering, well, why do we need to have peace with God? Uh, I thought God loves us. Uh, so what do you mean I, I need to have peace with God? Why, why is that that I have to have peace with God? He answers that question. Paul answers that question in the next three verses, starting in verse 21 of Colossians chapter 1. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And he's talking about faithfulness, which is what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings for the last 13 weeks, talking about the book of Hebrews and about remaining faithful to Jesus. Now, we understand we, from Paul's words in Colossians that we were once enemies of God because of our sinful behavior. Because of our sinfulness, we were enemies of God and alienated from him. But through Jesus Christ, God has made peace possible with God, with himself. That we can have peace with God. We do not have to be enemies of God. We do not have to be uh, alienated from him anymore. But rather, we can be friends with God. And God will call you his friend. Isn't that amazing? That God wants to be your friend. God wants to hang out with you. God wants to be with you. And he wants you to be with him for all eternity. To me, that is utterly amazing. Because I know me. And I don't like me very much. I can't imagine God would want to like me. But he does. And he likes you too. And you may think to yourself, well, I don't like me very much either. Nobody else does either. Uh, sorry, that's not very, I know, that's not very nice. But no, God loves you, God likes you, He wants to hang out with you, He wants to be with you forever and ever and ever. And He made this possible through His Son Jesus, who, when He died on the cross, made peace with God possible. So that if we will put our faith and trust in Jesus, if we will believe in Him and repent from our sins, confess our faith and be baptized, we will be born again, the Holy Spirit will come to dwell in us, God will change us and transform us, make us more like His Son Jesus, and we can have peace with God which is awesome. And when I think about how Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, it brings to mind to me Psalm 23. You know the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, it, David's words in, in the book of Psalms talks about how God was his shepherd. And I hear these words about how Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. And it, and it brings to mind this concept that, that Jesus is our shepherd. And that the purpose of a shepherd was to provide for and to protect the sheep. Like it says in Psalm 23, he leads me uh, to uh, quiet pastures and to still waters. That I can go and he provides for my needs by providing what I need to eat. He provides for my needs by leading me to where I need to drink. He leads me to these pastures where I can sleep and rest in him. I think about how Jesus said that he is the good shepherd in John chapter 10. And I think about how he says that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, in those days when a shepherd would build a pen around his sheep with whatever means he had, he would, he would build a, a pen around his sheep and then the sheep would know his voice and when he called the sheep, they would come to him and he would bring them into the pen. And he left a little opening at the, at the entrance to the pen for the sheep to come in and then the shepherd would literally lay down his life for his sheep because he would lay down across the opening to the pen. So he would lay down on the ground so that if you were going to go after the sheep, if you were going to steal or kill one of those sheep, 
you had to go through the shepherd. Now, the thing you got to know about the shepherd is that he was financially liable for all of the sheep in his care. That the owner of the sheep who hired the shepherd uh, held the shepherd accountable for all the sheep in his care. And so that shepherd, if you're going to try and take one of them sheep, he is going to fight you tooth and nail. He is, gonna, he is going to, whether you're a wolf or a bear or a lion, oh my, or if you're a, a, a thief, a robber trying to take one of the sheep, you've got to go through the shepherd. Same thing goes for Jesus. He is your good shepherd. And if the enemy wants to come and steal you away, if the enemy wants to come and, and destroy you in any way, he's got to go through the shepherd to get to you. Amen? Jesus is your great shepherd. And not only is he your protector, not only does he lay down the sheep, lay down his life for his sheep in order to protect them, but he also provides for us as well. He is our protector and he is our provider. But there's one more thing that we have to understand about the shepherd, and that the shepherd provides, he provides for the sheep, he protects the sheep, but he also keeps them in line. He keeps them from straying away. David wrote that, about the Lord being his shepherd, that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was for protection. The staff was, to, uh, was for correction. It was to bring the sheep back in line. So if the sheep start to stray away, shepherd grabs them and says, uh-uh, no, 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 you belong to me. You come back over here. So the shepherd not only provides for the sheep, not only protects the sheep, but keeps them in line, keeps them on the straight and narrow, keeps them all together. He provides boundaries for the sheep in order to protect them. And that's why we have the Bible. I believe that one of the purposes of Scripture, one of the purposes of God's Word, is to provide boundaries for our lives for our protection. Uh, the Bible does not exist. It's not just a rule book to keep us from having any fun. No, I believe that the Bible protects us from our own sinfulness, protects us from our own sinful natures, uh, that the Bible protects us from hurting ourselves and from hurting one another. That God, as our Creator, has, knows what is best for us. God knows what is best for you. He knows what is best for me. And he has given me his word in order to show me what is best for me. And so therefore, when I follow his word, when I obey his word, I find that my life is easier and my life is better. Because I'm doing what the, the creator of my soul has designed for me to do. What he has created for me to do. He has given me boundaries to protect me and to protect others as well. And it's because he loves me. How many of you have kids? How many of you have rules for your kids? I saw more hands the second time. I got rules for the neighbor kids. They're not my kids. I got rules for them too. Sure. Why do you set rules for your kids? Why do you set rules for the neighbor's kids? Get out of my yard. There's old man Cornette. Get out of my yard. Quit playing soccer in my yard. I never thought I would be that guy. But I am that guy. I hear them outside kicking the soccer ball, and it's like they're in my yard again. Why do I even care? Why do I even care? It's just grass. It's just, they're just kids having fun. And I'm like, arr, 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 get out of my lawn. <laughs> oh, man. I turn 42 next month. I sound like I'm getting ready to turn 82. But um, <laughs> why do we set rules for our kids? Because we want to protect them. Because we know if they stick a knife in the electrical socket, they're going to shock themselves. And it's going to hurt. We want to protect them. So we tell them, don't do that. Don't touch the hot stove because it burns, because it hurts. We don't want them to hurt themselves. God is the same way. He has given us his word. He has given us rules, and he has given us his commands to protect us. Because let's face it, folks, we don't know what's good for us, do we? 
We are controlled by our sinful natures. We are controlled by our sinful desires. We are controlled by our sinful appetites. And we just do whatever we feel like doing. And we don't care who we hurt in the process, whether it's ourselves or other people. But we need to care. We need to follow God's word because that's why he's given it to us in order to protect others and to protect ourselves from our own sinful desires and our own sinful natures. So let's go back to the beginning of chapter 13. Because now we're going to see that we're going to take this in some smaller chunks and, and one bigger chunk. But we're going to look back at Hebrews 13 and we're going to see these concluding exhortations of the author of Hebrews and what he tells the first century Jewish Christians to do and how it applies to our lives. So let's go back to Hebrews 13, chapter uh, verses 1 through 3. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So the first thing he tells them is to keep loving each other as brothers and as sisters in Christ. It's, uh, it's, it's for everybody. In the church, we are to love one another and to keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not a matter of you say, okay, I loved you this one time and now I can't stand you. No, he says keep on loving each other. It, it's a, a word that is also used as the word remain loving each other so it's a, a an ongoing love that we have for each other an ongoing brotherly love uh kind of like the city of philadelphia it comes from the greek word philia which means uh, a brotherly kind of love that we are to have for each other in the church it's just one of the kinds of love we are to have for each other in the church is this brotherly love now the people of philadelphia i really think need to a greek lesson because it is not a city of brotherly love. Did you know that several years ago that the, the people of Philadelphia at a Philadelphia Eagles game booed Santa Claus? They booed Santa Claus. Santa Claus is coming out of the tunnel and they booed him. The people at Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Eagles fans used to throw batteries at the opposing team. You'd have to wear your helmet on the sideline the whole game because they were chucking batteries at the opposing team. This is not a city of brotherly love. It is the most misnamed city in America. But that word philia, or Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, philia means brotherly love. And that's the kind of love we need to have for each other in the church. And that goes beyond just saying I love you. It, just, it goes beyond a, a, a hug and a handshake. Uh, it, it goes to uh, caring for one another and, and bearing each other's burdens and loving each other and encouraging each other. And then he says, be hospitable, verse 2. Be hospitable is what he's talking about. Don't get hung up on the entertaining angels part, but get, up, get hung up on the entertaining one another. And I don't mean like, you know, putting on a song and dance. I mean taking care of each other, being hospitable to one another. Spending time with each other. Getting to know one another. Investing your lives in one another. Because we're a family here. We care about each other. We love each other, right? Amen. We need to care for each other. We need to be hospitable to each other. And, and finally, he says to, to be concerned for those who are in prison because of their faith. To be concerned for those who are persecuted for their faith. And let's face it, we don't know what persecution is here in this country. We may think we do, but we don't. Not when we have brothers and sisters around the world who are, who are languishing in, in, uh, in prison camps and in prison. Not when we have brothers and sisters around the world who are being beheaded for their faith. We don't know what persecution is yet. And I do mean yet. Jesus said in John 15, do not be surprised when the world hates you. He didn't say if, he says when. Because the world will hate you. And he says because it's they, ha they hated him first. The world will hate us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. 
because it's offensive. Faith in Jesus Christ means uh, when you've got to put your faith and trust in Jesus, it means that you realize that there's something wrong with you. It's because you realize that there's something missing in you. It's because you realize that there's something sinful about you and that there's nothing you can do about your own sinful condition. You need Jesus to do something about your sinful condition. And the good news is that Jesus can do it. So we need to remember our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted for their faith. We need to pray for them. Pray for that they would be strong. That they would not give up on their faith and that they would remain faithful. And we need to pray for ourselves too. That one day if persecution breaks out against us in, in, in a severe way, we, that we will be strong. Because we need to be strong. Do not give up on your faith. And that's what the whole book of Hebrews is all about. It's about faithfulness and not giving up in the face of persecution. But remaining faithful to Jesus, who is greatest of all. Let's continue. Verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. We'll stop right there. When it comes to God's judgment, he says that he will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral because they do not keep the marriage bed pure. How timely is this, that marriage should be honored by all. Marriage should be honored by everyone. Now, the state or the governments may say that they can redefine or redesign marriage uh, from a legal standpoint, and they have the right to do that from a legal standpoint. But from a spiritual standpoint, from God's standpoint, no one has the right to redesign or redefine marriage. No one. God is the creator and the designer and the definer of marriage. And what God says about marriage is marriage is between one man and one woman for life. One man, one woman for life. And you know how I know this? Because in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9, Jesus said this, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, Jesus is talking in the context of divorce, but I think it also makes sense in the context of just marriage in general, that God created marriage. He defined marriage between one man and one woman for life, and that God will judge the sexually immoral, and he will judge the adulterer, and that should fill our hearts with fear because sexual sin is so prevalent in our society sexual sin is so prevalent not just in the world but sexual sin is prevalent in the church and and it should not be this way so whatever sexual sins we struggle with and and it could be uh, sexual sins such as adultery or lust uh, internet uh, addiction to pornography Uh, it could be sexual sin as such as homosexual behavior whatever your sexual sin premarital sex whatever sexual sin you struggle with or you may struggle with god will judge you just as he will judge me and and i don't want to put sexual sin on a pedestal i don't want to say it's the worst sin of all or this sin is worse than any others because there is no pedestal when it comes to sin all sin is sin and all sin is it needs to be forgiven And all sin can be forgiven by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we're told to honor marriage. And we are told to stay away from sexual sins. And and it doesn't mean that any other sin is okay. It doesn't mean that pride is okay or arrogance is okay or lying is okay or gossiping is okay or dishonoring your parents is okay. None of the, no sin is okay. Now we wink at some, don't we? We wink at some sins. Oh, that's, that's not so bad. It's not true. All sin had to be died for by Jesus Christ. All sin had to be paid for by his blood. 
So all sin should be taken seriously. All sin, all sin should be repented of. All sin uh, should be uh, avoided as best we can. And then when we fall short, and we will fall short, when we sin against God, and we will sin against God, when we sin against one another, we will sin against one another, we need to repent of that sin, confess our sins one to another, and confess our sins to God. And He is faithful and He will forgive. Amen? Okay, let's keep going. Kickoff is in like 10 minutes. Uh, not that it matters. It really doesn't. It really doesn't matter. You didn't, you didn't think you would go the entire service without hearing something about it, right? It really doesn't matter, you know? How many of you set your DVR today? I did. Okay. So I can go on. I can, I can talk for hours. and I, the, the game is ready for me. I won't do that. Maybe. Maybe. Okay, let's look at... <laughs> Uh, let's look at verses 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We need to be content with what we have. We need to learn the difference between wants and needs. We need to keep our lives free from greed and free from the love of money. For as Paul wrote, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Greed is the root of all kinds of evil. Greed is the sin like any other. We need to rid our lives from greed. We need to learn to be content with what we have. And that's hard, especially in America where we have so much. You heard what Greg said earlier about a home uh, the size of our kitchen here at the church building. It's got three families living in it, including 11 kids. We can't even imagine that, that kind of poverty. We are so affluent, we are so blessed, we are so fortunate, uh, we, and we take it for granted. We literally take it for granted. So much of what we have, we take for granted. We need to learn the difference between wants and needs. That's the hard thing. Because we want a lot. I want a lot. I don't need so much. And I ignore my needs in order to get what I want. And then I get into trouble financially and wonder, why isn't God providing for me? because I'm an idiot. That's why. How many preachers get up and tell their congregations that they're an idiot every Sunday? Most, yeah, one. Yeah, the rest of them, the rest of them, everybody just assumes it about them. But uh, we need to learn the difference between want and need. We need to be free from greed and free from the love of money because God has promised to provide. That's what uh, there it says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is our helper. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He knows what you need. Do you trust him? Do you trust him to provide? Because he can and he will. Just trust him. All right, next, next passage is kind of a big chunk. We're going to talk about leaders in the church. Verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals to the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. 
And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. When it comes to leadership in the church, this is what I believe. And I believe that the Bible teaches that the elders are in charge. Ultimately, Jesus is in charge. It is his church. But when it comes to local governance here at the church, uh, at the church level, at the local body level, it is the elders who are in charge. Now, you may say to yourself, well, what if I li- don't like a decision that the elders made? What if I don't like a decision that they're making? What if I, I don't like something that they do? Too bad. What? Well, this is a, uh, uh, this is a representative democracy. No, it's not. The church is a theocracy. Jesus is in charge. His name is on, the, is on the sign. And he has appointed elders in the church to lead the church. Now, that does not live, let them off the hook. It does not mean that they get to do whatever they want willy-nilly and just, you know, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to, you know. No, it doesn't mean that. Because the elders, should, their hearts should be terrified. Uh, their, their, their lives should be filled with holy fear. Because they are going to be held accountable by God. That God will judge them strictly, doubly, more than anyone else. Because they are in charge of his church. They are the shepherds over his flock. That God takes very seriously what happens here at GFCC and at churches all around the world. The elders are in charge at this local level. But they are held accountable by God. So here's my, my advice, okay, when it comes to the leadership of our church pray for them. Pray for the elders. Pray for me. I don't say that out of pride. I say that out of all humility. Please pray for me. And while you're at it, pray for my wife because she has to live with me. Um, Pray for the leaders of our church that we would that we would govern according to the Bible. That the Holy Spirit would fill us and lead us. That we would make wise decisions. That we would be good stewards of God's money. and, And that we would be good stewards of God's resources. Pray for your leaders. If you're frustrated with the leadership, oh, they're just not doing a good job, or they're not doing this, or they're not doing that, or they should do this, or they should do that, don't talk to your friends about them. Don't talk to your, your, your fellow churchgoers about them. Talk to God about them. Because God is the one who can change hearts. God is the one who gives guidance, and God is the one who leads by His Holy Spirit. So talk to God about your leaders. Don't gossip about them to anyone else. Okay? Remember, they are giving an account to God. They are not accountable to you. They are accountable to God. And that should fill us with holy fear. It does me. Let's close the chapter, verses 18 and 19. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. And I think this is just a good reminder that we need to be people of prayer. I'm going to be real honest with you. I love our church. I love GFCC. I love you guys. Uh, I hate being away. We were gone last week visiting friends in Minnesota. But I tell you what, I love coming back. And I love being here with you all. I love worshiping with you. I love spending time with you. Uh, I, I, I love you guys. I just, I love you. And, and I feel the love that you have for me and my family. And, and we love you. But I, when it comes to GFCC, I think we have a weakness. 
and I think our weakness is, is prayer. We have a prayer weakness in our church. And I, uh, I really feel convicted about this, that we need to do something about becoming a, a, a prayerful church. We need to become a church that is on fire for prayer. We need, a, we need a, 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 a fire stoked within us to pray continuously, to pray constantly, to learn how to pray better, to pray according to God's word, to pray according to God's will, that we need to be devoted and dedicated to prayer. And that is my goal uh, over these next few months. I, I want to do research into, into how to become more of a praying church. Uh, and I want you uh, to commit yourselves to being prayerful people, to praying to God. Because God moves through prayer. And God's heart is touched through prayer. That God not only hears our prayers, but God answers our prayers. And we need to become a people of prayer. We need to become a church of prayer. We can, we're, I, I think we have good worship. I think, we, I think we worship with all of our hearts. I think we got great worship on Sunday mornings. I think we have good preaching. Not out of pride or anything. It's just, that's what you tell me. So, it's your fault. If, if, if I got a big head, it's all your fault. Right? Because you tell me every week. That was a great sermon. And so you're either lying, and you know what happens to liars. They go to Congress. So if you don't want to be a congressman, quit lying. Um, so you're either lying to me, or you mean it. So I think we have good preaching. I think we have good worship. Uh, I think we have good studies. I think we're a church that values God's word, and that we study God's word. But we're a church that needs more prayer. We need more prayer. So this is a good reminder that we need to be a people of prayer, and we need to be praying. Uh, and, and so what does this have to do with eating an elephant? That's how I started. I asked you the question at the beginning. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Because you might look at a passage like this, you might look at Hebrews 13 and go, I have so much to work on. I got so much to do. I, I got this and I struggle with that and I got that thing going on and this whole thing and, and I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to begin. One bite at a time. So my challenge for you this morning is to take one area of this passage, okay? As you look at this passage, you think maybe something really resonated with you. Maybe something really struck you and you thought to yourself, Man, that really hit me this morning. That's your area. For the next seven days, I want you to pray about that area. And I want you to correct that area by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit within you. I want you to correct that area. Work on starting to correct that area. Again, we're going to take this one bite at a time. And, and, and you, if you try and eat the whole elephant at once, you're going to have his tummy ache. So we're going to take it one bite at a time. So I want you to work on that area. I want you to name it. I want you to say, this is my area. I want to pray about it. I'm going to work on it. Uh, I'm going to ask God to give me strength to deal with it. I'm going to ask God to help me overcome it. This sin, this temptation, this struggle, this desire, whatever it is, I'm going to give it over to God, and He is going to help me get through this area. Seven days. Can you do that? Seven days praying about this area and working on it. And I mean actively working on it. If you've got, you got to do something, you've got to take some drastic measures, you've got to take some drastic steps, do it. Don't just sit back and go, oh, that was a nice message. Because then I know you're lying. Because this is a hard thing to hear. To hear that you don't have it all together. To hear that you don't measure up. To hear that there's some area that God is not pleased in your life. And there are areas in our lives that God is not pleased with. So we've got to work on stuff, right? This is you, this is me. Jesus is our good shepherd. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. And he has expectations for our lives. He wants us to become more like him. And he will do whatever it takes to protect us and to provide for us and to correct us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we give glory 
and honor and praise to him alone. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I do pray today that you would help us in these areas that we struggle with, the sins that we have in our lives that, that ensnare us and entangle us and entrap us. I pray that you would help us to overcome the sinfulness in our lives. Help us, Father God, this week to, do an, to put an end to these struggles that we have. And, and this chapter of Hebrews, this Hebrews 13, reminds us that we don't have it all together. It reminds us that we have problems and we have struggles and issues that we may not trust you enough or we may have sexual sin in our lives or we may not, uh, we may not pray enough. Or we may not obey or respect our leaders enough. We may not love each other enough. Whatever we're doing, God, or whatever we're not doing, I pray that you would uh, help us in these areas. Cleanse our hearts. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us from our wickedness. For, Lord, we have sinned against you, and we have sinned against one another. We need your forgiveness. I pray that you would indeed forgive us today. I pray today for those who are here who may, may not have a relationship with you, and, and that, if, 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 that, God, you would call us into relationship with you. We thank you for the, the great shepherd of our souls, the great shepherd who has laid down his life for us. Help us to honor you, to honor Jesus, to be more like him. Thank you, Father God, for your word. Thank you for the Bible, for it teaches us how to be like Jesus. And that's what we want to do. So help us this week to do just that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.